Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. I'm looking out my studio and it's a beautiful day outside, but I probably won't be going out enjoying it. I'm a little under the weather today. But we will, uh, we're going to try to tough it through and make it so. I hope I don't sound too bad, but we got a lot to cover today. So hopefully you'll stay with us. We're going to talk about uh, a lot of the fishing. You know, we had this cold front that came through a few days ago and the fishing changed. Everybody before this last week's show, I remember, well, it may change some, it may not change some. A lot of people did a lot of talking about whether it should change or not. But uh, we'll find out what their attitude is now and if they had to make adjustments. So we're going to talk a lot about that. Bass are starting to either finish the spawn or in the spawn, depending on the lake you're at. Second hour, we'll talk about that with Chad Lachance. And in the second hour, the folks from Jack's are going to help us decide how do we pick out the right sleeping bag. So, so we're going to we're going to um, we're going to talk to them about how do you pick up whether you're car camping or backpacking in. You know, they make sleeping bags that go into a ball about the size of a softball now. And we got just so much to cover. Oh, and we have a great hike-in fishing opportunity for you in the Southwest Mountains we're going to talk about. But right now, let's go to the phones. And uh, joining us from Wyoming is Josh Leonard. He's the Wyoming uh, supervisor of their invasive species program. Good morning, Josh. Morning, Terry. How's it going? You know, <clears throat> excuse me, it's going okay. I wish I was outside, but um, I got a, I'm a little under the weather, so we'll try to get this radio show done. But thanks for calling in. You know, the invasive species thing has been with us for quite a while now. Really impacted the West several years ago. Uh, and people, you know, sometimes wonder, well, why do we even have these inspections? Why do we worry about it? And if if Wyoming is like Colorado, it's, well, if you're a recreational enthusiast, the water sources, the reservoirs probably weren't built for recreation. They had other purposes, and the water owners don't want those muscles, do they? Yeah, like you said, this issue has been around for a while. Our, our program here in Wyoming has been around since about 2010, so we're just over a decade into the program. And, yeah, we're really concerned here in Wyoming. Obviously, the, our number one threat and concern is the zebra and quagga mussels, which I'm sure most people have, have heard about. But we're also concerned of other aquatic invasive species um like there's museum you know, mud snails curly pond weed and there's we have a list of, of species that we're concerned about in Wyoming. so um when you come to Wyoming, that's what we're looking for at the boat check stations is just to make sure there's no none of those hitchhikers on, on your boat coming in and we don't have zebra quagga mussels in wyoming so our biggest threat is, is boats coming in from out of state and thankfully Colorado is, is lucky like us too and doesn't have mussels so um, we're, we're in this fight together and um, trying to keep these boats um, clean, drain, and dry when they're when they're transporting the waters. Well, you know, Colorado, for instance, like you mentioned, Colorado and Wyoming don't have mussels, but that doesn't mean the water providers aren't scared of them. States like California have lost numbers of waters to recreation because the water providers just won't take the chance, won't let anybody on. We've had a few small waters in Colorado actually closed or closed with very restrictive access. And it, 
and we need that surface water. And our two states have good, great river systems, but we don't have the abundance of surface water like the Midwest does. And if we want to have boating and fishing activities, we need access to that water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, we don't have mussels, but there is other, we both of our states do have other AIS that are there. So I know we are definitely most concerned about those, but we're still also looking to make sure we're not moving other things around. So, so if I'm coming to call it to Wyoming, we'll get to the process later. Who needs to be inspected? I mean, it, it varies from Colorado. Sometimes it varies from lake to lake, but it's pretty consistent. What are, what are the rules up in Wyoming for who needs an inspection? Yeah, that's a good question. So pretty much any watercraft that's coming in from out of state needs to be inspected before touching the waters in Wyoming. So anything that's not classified as a water toy, so your belly boats and stuff like that are are exempt from inspection, but your stand-up paddle boards, canoes, kayaks, hand-launched, non-motorized watercraft are uh, do need to be inspected here in Wyoming prior to, to launching, as, include, as well as those boats that are motorized, of course, and similar to Colorado. Um, yeah. And that kind of is a little different than Colorado because we don't inspect um, paddle boards and kayaks necessarily here. But so you kind of were, when we were talking earlier, you kind of mentioned it's like anything that you need a PFD for, you probably need it inspected, right? Yep, that's correct. And and also in, in Wyoming, our, our regulations state that any any watercraft entering the state between the, the dates of March 1st and November 30th, that's that's required. So if you do happen to come into Wyoming between December 1st and February 28th, and God forbid you find some open water you want to put your boat on, you don't need to be inspected. But the caveat to that is, is if you've been in a infested water, so a water with zebra or clog muscles in the last 30 days, you do need to be inspected regardless of the time of year, so all months of the year. Now, also in Wyoming, you need, there's a, an addition to the inspection, you need to get a, a decal or a sticker. Is that right? You have to buy. Yep, yep. So there's a, we call it the Aquatic Invasive Species Decal, and that helps fund our program. Um, it's both residents and non-residents need this decal, um, both non-motorized and motorized. So for a, for a non-motorized vessel, um, non-resident, it's $15 per vessel, and then for a non-motorized or a motorized non-resident vessel would be $30 and that's good for the calendar year and for the whole year so if you come up multiple times it's um you, you don't it's a one-time purchase and you can either buy that on your phone in, in advance or online on our website um, and the receipt is uh, good as, as proof of purchase so it's good for 15 days and we'll mail you a hard copy of that sticker or you can stop at our, our regional offices here in Wyoming and pick up that sticker if you're coming by, or you can also buy them at any licensed sales stores in Wyoming. So anywhere you can buy a fishing license, um, hunting license, they, they sell those as well. You know, it's amazing, because I, I, when I was doing my television shows, I used to travel the world actually fishing, but mostly North America. And in the early days, you know, I was looking for a sporting goods store or a parks and wildlife type office to buy a, a fishing license. And now in a typical year, I still probably get a fishing license in maybe four or five states. But I never go into an office anymore. I do it all online, and they give me a code that goes on my phone. Eventually, some of them do send me a license. But the same with this sticker. It's so easy now to go online and do these things, isn't it? Yeah, it's really easy these days. I mean, technology is advanced a lot lately and our, our regulations have also advanced along with that so oftentimes you don't need a hard copy anymore and 
Um, that's that's usually good for people like me. You know, I I always have my phone on me, but I, you can't always guarantee I have my wallet or any of those hard copy things. So it's it's easy to have that to be able to show proof of of a sticker or proof of your fishing license if it's on your phone. Let's go through the process. I'm headed up to Wyoming. Where do I get inspected? Who does it? And, and what's the process? Yeah, so if you're coming up, I'm assuming most of you would be coming up I-25 um, through Cheyenne. There's also 287 in Laramie, but there's um, a check station at our, our welcome center, our welcome state center on uh, exit four uh, on in Cheyenne, the south of Cheyenne. So just as you cross the border in Colorado. Um, on your right, about four miles into Wyoming, you'll see signs for the check station. And those operating hours are typically eight, uh, 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. this time of year, seven days a week. So you'll see the signs for that. You just pull in real quick, stop, and the inspector's there. We'll take a quick look at your boat, um, likely seal you and provide you a receipt, which basically shows that you've stopped and is your proof of inspection. So if a game warden were to stop you in the water, they can you can prove that you, you did stop and were in compliance. Um, like I mentioned, for some of you that may come up 287 through Fort Collins into Laramie, um, there is a check station there at our, our port of entry just south of Laramie. Um, it says your pulp coming into town. That, that check station is operated 7 to 7 Monday through Wednesday um, and 6 to 8 Thursday through Sunday this time of year. Now, uh, a, a craft like a paddleboard or a kayak, <clears throat> excuse me, might not be able to be sealed. They have to keep that receipt on them? Yep, correct. So, yeah, if it's not sealable, like obviously a boat that has a, a eyelet, like a motor boat, you can seal it. But if it's something we can't seal, we'll just provide you a, a receipt only, and, and it'll show that receipt was only provided. Okay, now, if I'm coming up from Colorado, you guys recognize a sealed boat out of Colorado with our, if it's been inspected, coming off the water. But I still have to stop, though. Is that right? Yep, so we do have reciprocity with Colorado. Colorado's program is very similar to ours, and we, we honor those inspections. So that can sometimes expedite your process. So if you're coming off a lake in Colorado and get sealed, that will help definitely expedite your your time at a check station. But by law, you still need to stop at every check station that is open on your route of travel because, you know, obviously it's really hard to see a, a full seal dangling on the, on your boat going 75 miles an hour down the highway. So law enforcement will pull you over because um, there's really no way to, to prove that. So you still have to still have to stop and then, like I said, just show the technicians that seal and receipt and um, you'll be on your way a lot quicker in that regard. So it's also a good time because, you know, I said, like I mentioned earlier, March 1st and November 30th need to be inspected and our check stations aren't open those, not all nine months of those years, seven days a week. So during those shoulder seasons, we have limited hours, and this allows folks from Colorado to be in compliance when it's tough to find an inspection. Um, so you can always go online and look at our website. We have our hours posted for check stations, but we also have a list of private inspectors there that you can call and make an appointment with. Um, and you can also come and, and take class with us and become a private inspector yourself so you can seal your boat um, in Colorado and come up to Wyoming and be in compliance during that time. You know, we mentioned earlier that these programs have been in place for a while. And <clears throat> initially, there was, you know, a lot of reluctance. You know, people don't like getting interrupted. But I think people have gotten used to them and they understand them. And the process has actually gotten streamlined unless they find uh uh, contamination, it goes pretty fast, doesn't it? Yeah, it's very fast, especially if you're just boating in, in Colorado and coming to Wyoming. It's the folks that go to places like Lake Powell or any of those waters back east of here that have infested waters. Your, your time may be 
increased a little bit. But um, we do understand it's obviously a minor inconvenience in the day to stop and on a, on a long road travel. So we try to get you in and out as quick as we can and um, don't want to um, inconvenience folks too long. Well, no, I mean, we're all, you know, people think sometimes extra regulations, extra. We all want, you and I are in uh, occupations where we want people out recreating. That's our job. And we want them mm-hmm. to enjoy themselves, but we want to keep those waters open and available. So what's the process if I say I'm coming up, say I was at Lake Powell or something, I'm coming up, and you find some mussels, what's the process then? You know, the process then really depends on how long you're out of the water and, and if we find anything. I mean, if it's been a couple of years, it's not going to be that long of a process because mussels, um, scientific literature shows that mussels really can't live out of water for more than 30 days. So if you're traveling within that 30-day time period of being in there, you might be getting a decontamination here in Wyoming based on that, that length. Um, but really past that, or we, we will decontaminate if there's some water in there. But ballast boats are obviously our biggest concern because it's just really, really difficult to remove all of that water out of ballast tanks, even though it says they're empty. There's always still a little bit of water in, in them, unfortunately. And so how long does a decontamination take? You know, it really depends. Like if we have a fully encrusted boat, which we do get here in Wyoming, it can take up to hours, but the typical motor flush or ballast tank flush can be anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. Um, it really depends on the complexity of the boat and how really how well the boat owner knows how to operate their boat and which um, tanks take what. So it really comes down to that, and, and uh, but really not no longer than that, 20 minutes usually. I've had some fishermen friends who've been like in Kansas. They'll come back to Colorado, and they'll go to the inspection station and they'll ask to be decontaminated because they know they were out of state. Can you do that in Wyoming too? Yeah, you certainly can come and we'll de- if you want to be decontaminated, we'll never turn you down for that. That's definitely being good stewards of the resources. And that's ultimately our, our number one goal in Wyoming and the p- number one pillar we stand on is outreach and education. I think if, if people understand the problem and understand the issue and, and or get behind it and to get public buy-in, um, people are the boaters and fishermen are the best stewards of the resources possible. So really the check stations in my mind are a secondary catch to the folks that we just haven't been able to reach out to and inform and educate on the problem. So um, people really do take care of their, their waters and, and want to take care of them are generally. <clears throat> um, one, we only got a minute or two left. One last thing I want to touch on. Uh, invasive species can be transferred in other ways. And one of those that a lot of states are cracking down on is bait like minnows and leeches. What are the regulations in Wyoming for minnows and leeches? Yeah, so some really um, overarching regulations we have that are simple is really you just can't come into Wyoming um, out of state with with minnows. So if you're going to use live bait in Wyoming, you need to purchase them in Wyoming from a commercial dealer. Um, so if you buy them at Jack's and Fort Collins and come up into Wyoming, and um, that's that's against our regulation, we'll have to dispose of them. So if you want to save yourself some some headache and some money, then definitely need to come into Wyoming and, and purchase them here. Um, you can also become uh, a saint. You can get a saining permit where you can wild trap um, minnows and use them, but you have to be you have to use those minnows within the drainage in which they were caught. So there's definitely some finer restrictions on that. And another good one to know is that you can't possess live um, minnows west of the Continental Divide. So that basically cuts our state in half. Um, and so anything on the western side of our state, you cannot be in possession of, of live bait at all. 
Josh, we are out of time, but great information. Real quick, people want to follow up on this and make sure they understand it. Is there a website? Yeah, for sure. You definitely just go to our website, the Wyoming Game and Fish Department, um, and then you can click on the fishing and boating link, which is a blue little link at top, and then you'll click on the Aquatic Invasive Species link, and it'll take you to all the information that we have. Um, the best link there to figure out if you're coming up and planning for inspection locations, um, there's a tab on the left that says AIS Inspection Locations, and that'll give you the hours of the check stations, and then again, all those places where you can get an inspection so you're in compliance with our laws. All right, my friend, thank you so much for your time, and, and uh, hopefully a lot of people will come up and enjoy Wyoming fishing. Yes, hope to see you. All right, thank you, Josh. Josh Leonard okay. from Wyoming, just a great, great source of information there. We're going to take a quick time out. When we get back, we're going to take you down to southwest Colorado and some hike-in fishing for cutthroat trout that you will just be dying to take advantage of. All that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. A little later in the second hour, Jack's is going to join us and tell you how to pick out a sleeping bag for both car camping and those backpacking trips. Speaking of backpacking trips, joining us from the southwest region of the state is Estevan Vigil. Good morning. Morning, Terry. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. Looking outside, it's sunny and bright. And you have a program to talk about that I am so excited about. It's something that's been going on for a while with Parks and Wildlife. Uh, everybody, you know, a lot of people got back into fishing during COVID, and there's been more people on the water. And a lot of people, boy, I, I want to get away from the crowds a little bit, or I, I want a little more solitude when I fish and still have a chance for some success. Well, you've got an answer for that, don't you? Yeah, i got a great answer for that one. We've been, uh, we stock a lot of backcountry lakes by airplane every year with uh, Rio Grande cutthroat trout and provide backpacking angling opportunities for anglers across the state. Now, you said there's about 60 lakes in your area, is that right? Or is that statewide? That's in my area alone. So the, there's hundreds of lakes statewide that are managed this way. Um, but in my area alone, down here in the San Luis Valley, we stock just over 60 lakes by airplane every every year. Now, when to get access to some of those lakes, and I'll ask you later how you might identify if there's a way to find out what lakes they are. But right now, to get to those lakes, since you're stocking them by airplane, I'm assuming there's no roads up there. So there is there good, decent trails? Are they long trails, easy hikes, long hikes, or is it a real great variety? Yeah, everything in between. We have easy hikes that are only a mile or two long to, to get into some of these lakes, and others are 14 to 15 miles back even. So kind of everything in between, some on really well-maintained trails, others that are a little more scrambly to get to. Now, are these mostly hiking trails? Are they accessible by horseback or any other means? Yeah, a lot of them are accessible by horseback. Um, and they are all on hiking trails. Um, like I said, they're mainly backpacking type type of lakes. Some of them, the closer ones that are a mile or two in, you can do some day trips too. But a lot of these, you know, it'd be best to just take your stuff with you and, and spend the night and enjoy the enjoy the scenery. Now, how do how do you guys decide what lakes you're going to stock? Is there a process there? 
Yeah, so that's what I've been working on for the last few years is is checking on these lakes. So we hire seasonal employees to help us to go into these lakes and sample them to see if fish can survive and and measure a lot of habitat variables, like the depths of the lakes and the temperatures and those kind of things um, to make sure that we have healthy survival of fish in these lakes um, to inform our stocking program as we move forward with stocking these. Now, in addition to the habitat, do you get much um, competition from the brook trout? Do you have to watch for that? Yeah, that's uh, one issue we've been finding over the last few years is some of these lakes have host natural reproducing populations of brook trout, and they can out-compete cutthroat in some cases. And in those waters, they're great great fishing as well, but just for brookies and, and not cutthroat, and we won't stock those with cutthroat once we find that out so we could utilize those fish in other places where people might be able to catch them. Now, when you stock these lakes there, you stock them with the cutthroats. Um, what an opportunity to go into a pristine area. I imagine the views are terrible up at these lakes, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, just the hike alone, getting into these lakes sometimes is, is it, it's worth it there, you know, whether you catch a fish or not. Hiking back into these lakes, it's some beautiful country. And as you mentioned at the beginning of this, you know, getting away from the crowds, things are busy out there. Um, there's people at all these real popular waters, but there's hundreds of lakes in the, in the state. If you just, you know, spend a little effort to get back to them, um, it's beautiful and it's really, really enjoyable. Now, how do I find out which lakes are stocked? And then what kind of growth rate and what type and size of fish can I expect? So that's very variable depending on where you're at in the state. I'd recommend reaching out to your local CPW office um, or your local aquatic biologists and asking them if they have any good recommendations. Um, another good resource is angler groups, uh, things like Trout Unlimited and some of the other groups out there. They, there's a lot of talk about these lakes going on. Do any of these show up on, like, the fishing atlases or the resources on the Parks and Wildlife website? Yeah, the fishing atlas is, is, a, is a great resource. It doesn't, I don't think it covers all of these lakes. Um, like I said, I think uh, your best bet to find some of these is to, to talk around to some other anglers or, or just contact your, your local biologist. We, we have about, uh, like I said, over 60 down here, and um, I'm more than willing to talk to anybody about them there. Of great fishing, and going back to the growth rates, we have some of the you know largest cutthroat around. We have 18 to 20 inch cutthroat in some of these lakes, and um, they're just beautiful, beautiful fish. Wow! I actually went to one of those alpine lakes on a horseback trip, and I was expecting, you know, getting up in the high altitudes, and we were, you know, like it was a four-hour horseback ride, maybe three, but I'm not the best horseback rider, but and. We got up there, and I'm expecting these 8 to 12-inch cutthroats in this lake. And my first cast was like an 18 or 19-inch cutthroat. I was just amazed and beautiful fish. And you, you, we filmed the TV show up there, and you're, you're holding this fish, and you're looking up at the view behind you. And I don't know that life gets much better than that, and it was just fantastic. Now, what about I go up there camping. Uh, I want to catch a few fish. You know, and we talk all the time about catch and release and about selective harvest. I'm a big believer in selective harvest. I doubt you get much natural reproduction in these lakes, and eventually these fish die of old age, and then you restock. So is it okay to harvest one once in a while? 
Absolutely. You know, um, I've looked into your local regulations on, on the lake you're going to, but the majority of the lakes that I manage this way, as you mentioned, there is no natural reproduction or very little natural reproduction. And so we manage them by stocking and we keep that population going by stocking. And so I think it's a great idea for people to harvest the fish once in a while. It's not going to hurt the population. It's something that we manage for. Yeah, that sounds great. Now, as far as camping, last question I have for you. If I am going to hike in one to, the, to one of the furthers, whether it's horseback or hiking, is there quite a, quite a wide availability of camp places to camp? Yeah, this is, so these are not, you know, these lakes are in the backcountry, so they're not going to be established campgrounds per se, but there's dispersed camping throughout the National Forest, and that's allowed. Be sure to, you know, check your fire restrictions at the time that you're going to be there. And some of these lakes are above timberline, so I would also recommend, you know, hiking back down into the timber and camping in the timber and not up in the alpine in case some sort of bad weather were to come in. Well, I think the best thing people could do was do a little homework, uh, you know, go on the, maybe the fishing atlas on, on the Parks and Wildlife website or get a hold of some of the biologists from certain areas like you are. You know, people don't understand. You guys are real willing to share. You manage these lakes for the recreation, and you want people to take advantage of them. So get a hold of people in the areas you work at the, at the regional offices, and I'd plan some trips to these lakes. What do you think? Absolutely. You know, we are here for you guys. We are here. Our mission is your fishing. Like, let's let's get out and get some fishing done. All right, my friend. It sounds like a great opportunity, boy. I tell you what, get away from it. And you know what? It, it gives you that. Um, we forget sometimes. We get the immediate gratification of wanting to catch a fish, and we all want to do that. But sometimes we forget to smell the roses on the way and a hike up a beautiful mountain terrain to a pristine mountain lake. And whether you're casting a fly rod or a lot of these lakes, I'm sure you can fish with conventional gear too, right? Yeah, that's right. Most of these lakes, because we do allow harvest and we're managing around that, then we we do allow all types of fishing gear. Most of them do fall under our statewide fishing regulations. What a great, what a great experience and a great opportunity. Spend a back packing trip with a friend or a daughter or son or and just have a good time thank you so much this is a tremendous opportunity thank you thanks terry have a good one you you bet esteban vijo what a great opportunity folks you know we we all talk about the crowding and everything get away from it go up there and enjoy it even if you don't catch fish but you get to these lakes i've been up to them you will we're going to take a time out when we come back, we're going to talk about a variety of opportunities and the fact that it's free fishing weekend. You know, you can go fishing today and tomorrow, and you don't even have to buy a license. All that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Locations up and down the Front Range, Lafayette, Boulder, Loveland, Fort Collins, even Cheyenne. If you're an outdoor enthusiast or you love grilling, stop in a Jack store and check them out. Let's go to the phones. And joining us, one of our favorite contributors from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, Travis Duncan. Good morning, Travis. Good morning, Terry. It uh, looks like a beautiful sunny day out. I hope it is where you're calling from. It is, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, calling from Colorado Springs, and it's looking very nice today so far. <laughs> yeah, it looks like one of those weekends why we live in Colorado. And speaking of weekends, 
kind of a special one for fishing, isn't it? It is. It's our annual free fishing weekend this weekend here, June 4th and 5th. Um, so, yeah, definitely inviting folks to get outside with their family and friends and, and take advantage of, of all the opportunities in Colorado to, to enjoy fishing this weekend. And, and no well, license you know, is required this weekend to fish. So, Yeah, it's a great opportunity. You know what's a really great opportunity with a free fishing weekend? Because a person that fishes regularly probably has a license or he's going to buy one. It's that person who just never quite goes because they they don't ah, I don't want to buy a license. I haven't been fishing for years. Now they still might not go. <clears throat> you hope they will. But you got a neighbor who you know would like to go fishing. Knock on his door, say, Let's go down and, and we'll go down to the local lake, we'll catch some trout offshore. Or we'll go drive up and down one of the rivers, we'll stop and fish. Now you can do that. Take him out there, and you can do that without having a license. You might have one, but he might not or she might not. And and you can get him out there. Maybe get him back into it. Get him excited about it again. And the Parks and Wildlife has tons of resources to help you if you think you might not be quite qualified yourself, afraid to take him out, don't they? Yeah, definitely. We have um, we even have a take a friend fishing uh, contest where you can win prizes by writing about your experience and, and taking a photo of uh, of you of you and your friend fishing and, and sending the story to us. So um, so yeah, we we're definitely uh, encouraging folks to to take a friend out, get out there fishing, and, and we do have lots of resources on our website. If if you you could just Google CPW fishing and and a lot of them will come up. But we also have a fishing e newsletter where this week we. We're, we're promoting our a video we have on bait fishing basics. So just a, a short, like three to four minute video on on just getting getting your line and getting your bait set up and and for what kind of fish and to just walk you through it quickly. If you maybe need a quick refresher if you haven't been out in a while, um, so I encourage you to take a look at some of those. Look at our look at our fishing brochure and and check out the the fishing atlas online if you're looking to explore. Um, different areas around the state where you might enjoy going and, and what uh, kinds of fish are in the waters where you're heading. So, so yeah, definitely encourage folks to, to check that out and get out fishing this weekend. Now that bait fish video or baiting, <clears throat> setting up your bait, how did you say you find that? Is it available through the, just the website or you mentioned a, a newsletter? Oh, it is. Yep. It's, it's available. We have a fishing e-news. So if you, you could sign up for that by just Googling CBW fishing e-news or if you go to CPW's YouTube page, um, it's uh, it's called Bait Fishing Basics. So if you just go to our YouTube page and look for Bait Fishing Basics, uh, it'll pop up. But but uh, short, helpful video, and then that that page also links back to our to our fishing resources. And and um, another thing I'd like to to tell folks about if they if they are looking to get their fishing license this year or decide to have a great free fishing weekend and want to get that license. Um, we have a, a cool new app, the MyCPW app, which if you get it on your phone um, and you buy, say you, you buy your license from your computer and you want to go immediately, uh, but you don't have that paper license yet, you just download that MyCPW app and, and the, the app is available on, or the license is available on your phone to show in case you, you do get checked after this weekend by a wildlife officer while you're fishing. So um, pretty, pretty convenient to have on you just if you, if you want to get the license today and go fishing right away and, and um, just have it from the, the comfort of your phone, you can do that. What's the name of the app again? It's MyCPW. 
it's, it's a great app. I actually have it on my phone because a lot of times I don't want to take my wallet out into the river or something, but I'm dumb enough. I'll take my phone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, another thing too, people can go fishing. You don't have to travel miles to go fishing in Colorado. Almost every pond and small lake in the state has some fishing opportunity. It's either got stock trout or it's stocked with panfish and bass. And if you go to a lot of those resources, I a lot of times want to just get out for a couple hours. I don't want to take my boat even close by. And I'll drive to some of the local ponds and just fish for bass and panfish. You don't have to make a long trip out of it. It can be just a couple hours in an afternoon, right? Yeah, definitely. If you're want- And if you're wanting to really dig in, I'm-, I'm sure, Terry, you've checked out the fishing atlas, but you can really dig into, you know, the kinds of metal, uh, the kinds of fishing you're wanting to get into and how close to your house. So is it, is it mostly fly fishing? Is it, is it, um, recently stocked with, uh, catchables? Is it, does it have a boat ramp? Is it a gold metal water? So all these, does it have special fishing regulations? So you can, you can kind of search by all those different things on the fishing atlas and, and find some cool places to go fishing close to your home. Or you could listen to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors every Saturday morning from 9 to 11. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are going to get out this weekend and maybe they're not going fishing and the weather's kind of, you know, we're getting summer weather. Um, we still want to emphasize a few things. And one, I think is we, we've been saying this for, I think since COVID started and that's no before you go. When you do plan a trip, whether you're fishing, hiking, wildlife watching, camping, whatever, really make sure you understand what it's going to take to do that activity and what your capabilities are. Yeah, definitely. That's, that is a big message that, that we're, we're spreading this year and, and every year is, is to think about those leave no trace principles, thinking about knowing before you go and planning ahead and, and uh, if you're heading out for a, whether it's a, a long hike or going fishing, make sure you know what's allowed uh, where you're headed, make sure you bring sunscreen and water and, and look at the weather forecast ahead of time. Bring bring the right clothing and the right gear for the activity you're participating in. If you're going to a Parks and Wildlife State Park or State Wildlife Area, take a look on our website ahead of time or call the, the Wildlife Officer Park ahead of time and make sure you know you know what's what's allowed there. Those, those things are all, all good ideas. Um, if you're heading to a place for the first time or, or just if you're you're heading out somewhere and you need to know what's what's allowed on the property you're going to. Another thing to really be aware of, we've had some tragedies already this year and drownings were way up last year. The water, folks, is still only around 60 degrees in our most of our lakes. You will get uh, hypothermia so quickly in 60-degree water. You, If you don't have a, a life jacket, a personal flotation device, um, you might end up like some of these other tragedies. Please, don't just have them in the boat, but put them on. Don't you agree? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's definitely important to to wear your life jacket when you're when you're out on the water in Colorado. Um, we've already had um, a couple a couple drownings this year, and it is it is um, it it's it's awful. It's a tragedy, and and we want to remind folks if you're recreating out on the water in Colorado, wear your life jacket. Be safe. Make sure those you know in your boat are, have their life jacket on as well, and just um, you know practice practice good good safety and. Um, and be safe out there while you're while you're having fun this weekend. Travis, I'm gonna let you go so you can get out and enjoy the rest of this beautiful weekend. That sounds good, Terry. Thank you. 
All right, Travis Duncan. Always great information, Travis. Thank you. We're going to take a quick time out. We'll come back. Austin Parr is going to join us, and we're going to start, I would say, the next two segments, Austin and Nate, and then Chad at the end. We have a segment in between there. We're going to give you a lot of tips on how to go out and catch fish these next few days. I'm Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're just a teardrop in my eyes each night. I cry myself to sleep. You're just a memory of a love I somehow couldn't keep. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Teardrops in My Eyes is actually a song recorded by Wickstrom and Dobrik, my, my musical group, and it's available streaming on all the popular services. Go check us out. We'd love if you give our stuff a listen. Just uh, search Wickstrom and Dobrik. Let's go to the phones now. He's probably more interested in fishing than my music, and that we'll talk to Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Oh, hey, thanks for coming on. You know, it's been a di- I guess what I, I was going to say, it's been a different year, but I've said that so many times in the last two, three years, I'm going to take, I used to preach keeping a log and a notebook, the timing of the bite so I could maximize my time on the water. I think I'm just going to throw them away. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that uh, you say that because everything has been different than what we would expect over the last decade or two decades and, and not necessarily a, a bad thing, but just a little bit different time. To- a little bit different timing and uh but the fish are still there and, and when you are able to work through the correct techniques they are definitely being cooperative right now well they are and there's fish to be caught and it gets a little frustrating for the weekend angler because they go and they they go to what was their traditional web place to go and the way to fish at a certain time of the year and they plan on certain bites and you just really got to pay attention to the conditions do your homework and find out what's going on. So what are you seeing out there? So on the Metro bites, they've been pretty darn spectacular, but not with absolutely every type of uh, technique like you would normally see. So, for instance, at Chatfield, we had that big front come through in the first part of the week, and it pushed the fish a little bit deeper. The magic depth late in the week was 22 to 24 feet deep. And that's very rare this time of year. I mean, we, we caught this even out to the 26-foot range on a couple of occasions. Normally, we're up in 12, 13, 14 feet of water, really getting them. But that deeper water area has fish very concentrated on the, on the edges of the roadbeds and the bottom edges of the humps. And they have been wanting a very slow, very kind of uh, fine-tuned presentation where it's just been a basic slow death rig. Uh, no, no, no blades, no spinners. But when you get it right and you have the the correct speed, doing about 0.75 on the edges of those roads, having fantastic success. I mean, 100 fish plus days. But stopping on those same fish and throwing my classic jigging wraps or blades or even swim baits or even a jig and a crawler are producing at a much slower rate than those slow death rigs. And then shifting to Cherry Creek, we're seeing generally the same type of deal where the, the bite is on the, the, the bottom edges of these humps. I say that, but then you, you know, some warmer days are going to push these fish back up a little bit uh, higher. So if you're going early this next week or maybe tomorrow, you might uh, think shallower as well. But uh, fishing with those same slow death rigs has been, been good. Um, but then the leeches have been a little bit better at Cherry Creek than they have been at Chatfield. The live bait bite with the leeches, uh, surprisingly, has not been great. But I am anticipating as we get 
some warmer weather here and, and get some consistent mid-80s to 90-degree temperatures and these water temps warm a little bit more, the classic uh, fish up on the shallow structure is definitely going to materialize in a hurry. Well, you know, you, you made a couple points. One to me, uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm old, my memory might be gone, but 60-degree water into the first part of June seems a little cool. Yeah, I mean, we have lakes that are just barely getting to, I mean, Low elevation lakes, obviously in the mountains it's different, that are just barely yeah. hitting 60 degrees. And then another thing, you talked about the depth at Chatfield. You know, they were going to expand that lake. It was going to be 12 feet higher. But talking to you earlier, you said it's actually below its old level. Yeah, I would say it's about three feet below historic full pool. Uh, the roadbed right now is sitting average about 15 feet of water. And it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens as the summer progresses. Last year we had kind of a mid-summer kind of fill, but I'm not sure that's going to happen this year, but uh, we'll, we'll find out. But it's it's at a level where you would consider it normal. They're not in the tree. They're, they're on the structure points. And then when you're dealing with dropping water out on the eastern plains as well, that's definitely affecting the bite. So places like North Sterling, where you would historically have the water high and in the trees and holding at a consistent level this time of year, it actually was high early and then it has fallen. And those fish have peeled off of those edges. And a lot of people have been struggling because the fish aren't on structure and they've gone to some of the deeper water and they've suspended. So it uh, has made for some interesting conditions with early falling water this year. Well, you know, I talked to the biologist in the Northeast and she claims that uh, most of those Northeast lakes, the fish populations are in good shape. She tells me that, you know, I can't remember which two, but even Jackson, which everybody thought was going to be low, she says is good. I think Pruitt and Jumbo were both good. Sterling, you know, some yep. had more crappies than Wiper. They all had decent. A couple of them were super for walleye, sogeye populations. But we really haven't, I haven't heard from anybody this year that those lakes have really been on fire. No, it has been pretty challenging. And then, you know, you, you go further east into Kansas, and the same report I'm hearing out there. So lakes that normally have fantastic walleye and sogeye fishing, uh, the, you know, there's still good populations in all these lakes. But people are struggling to find fish. But it's like you mentioned, water temperatures at 60 degrees in the first week of June has everything behind schedule a little bit. So it might make for a really good late summer with the shad maybe pushed off a little bit on uh, the spawning effort. So it's it's coming. The, the bite should be really on fire on some of these eastern plains lakes. And I think, you know, when you have Chadfield and Cherry Creek, the, the bite's just a little bit more consistent, partly due to the fact that I'm out there all the time and, and – kind of know where the fish are going to go if they're not in one area. But the challenging part, as you mentioned, for the weekend guy that might not be familiar with the lake uh, to the, the really intimate level is that if it's in a condition that's different than normal, those fish move, they adjust, and sometimes it's challenging to get away from fishing to your memories and you try and, and make do with what's worked in the past. But maybe you need to go out deeper and pull some crawler harnesses or maybe troll some planer boards to some, some suspended fish or fish high in the water column. So it's all about adjustment right now. And if it's not working pretty quickly on your normal techniques, change and uh, maybe troll and maybe go deeper. Yeah, and I think uh, another thing I would, on all the eastern reservoirs, whether north or south, even when the fishing is hot, if you're planning on fishing those lakes, I'd get out there early this year. Uh, I just don't know. Even Boyd Lake may not get any more water this year. We've got a, we could, 
we could be in for a much harsher water situation than we think. Now, we don't have a crystal ball, but I'd be a little concerned. If there's, if you want to fish hard on the eastern lakes, I'd get out there. Even the Yampa River below Stagecoast Reservoir right now is closed to fishing because they've cut the flows way down. So some of this stuff isn't boating well, is it? No, it makes me a little concerned. Uh, and there's at least maybe a little pattern of moisture that's been on the eastern plains, which might uh, reduce some of the irrigation demand. But you just never know. I mean, we, we could be having some, some more moisture coming through June here, but the, the general La Nina pattern is looking like it might be a, a little bit more dry. So, you know, those eastern plains lakes are tough. I mean, a lot of folks ask, well, why does CPW drain it? Well, it's not CPW's fault. Uh, there are uh, ditch companies that own those lakes, and the irrigation demand is first. Recreation is certainly down the list. So if you have I think the I'll- opportunity to hit them early, it's now. Yeah, I, I would say um, we're, we're, t- we're not trying to discourage people. There's a lot of great fishing out there. Just be aware of what's happening in the body of water you're on and, and your techniques because uh, there's, uh, there's fish to be caught, and we're going to get into some of the best fishing of the year. But just be aware that it might take a little different approach. Austin, we got to go, but if people want to find you, how do they do that? I'm a discount fishing tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Terry. You bet. Austin Parr, always a great resource. Speaking of great resources, one of our favorites is coming up after this time out, and I got a feeling he's going to tell us how this changing weather has affected the fishing all across the state here in Colorado. And Terry Wicks from Outdoors with 104.3 The Fan.